So the scripture reading today will be uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has, much, has more glory than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Amen. So if you know me very well, you know that I love mountains. Now I was thinking this morning of starting the message saying, if you know me very well, you can fill in the blank, I love, but then I was like, oh, you might say tacos, <laughs> which then I'd have to change. You might say Jesus, and then I'd be, have to like downgrade that to mountains. So I, just, I started by just saying, you know very, very well, you know that I love mountains. I, th I think God created mountains for us to enjoy. Now, God could have created the world and left it formless and flat, but he didn't. He created the world and he created it with mountains and valleys and gorges and, and canyons and hills and plateaus and all sorts of beautiful scenery for us to climb and explore and look at mountains like we have on the picture behind me here this morning. And I think he did that so that we would enjoy it and so that we would praise the one who made it all for us to enjoy. Generally, if I find myself daydreaming when I'm at home or when I'm driving or when I'm slacking off when I'm supposed to be working, don't tell the deacons that I do that sometimes, um, it's about the next hiking trip that I want to take or what mountain am I going to climb Next, or I just can't wait. If I finish a hike, I'm immediately, you can ask my wife, I'm immediately planning the next hiking trip. She's like, we just got done with one. I love being on mountains so much. Now, why don't I go hiking more often than I do? Why don't I just pack up every weekend and go hiking? Well, there's several reasons. The first is you guys expect me to be here on Sundays. The audacity of you guys. The, the, the second reason is I would rather be with you and I would rather be worshiping God than I would be on the mountains. I, I used to go over to the pizza stone, may it rest in peace, every, uh, almost every day. Uh, and one thing that the owner of the pizza stone would say to me regularly as he, we had a pseudo uh, spiritual conversation, he'd say, I'd rather be in, out in nature thinking about God than in church thinking about nature. And I said, well, why can't you have both? You know, and I, so I think that's true, that we can be in nature and, and think about God, and we can be in church thinking about the great things that God has created for us to enjoy. But I'd rather be here than doing anything else. Uh, the third reason that I don't do it more often is that I have kids that would rather be at the mall or at the playground than on a hiking trip, and so that makes it difficult to go uh, a lot. Uh, but lastly, uh, 
the, the major reason that I don't go more often is though all my mind is saying to me, you should go hiking, you should go hiking. My body is reminding me that it hurts just to go up and down the stairs most days, so I need to limit the number of large mountains that I climb. But I do love to climb, and I do love some of the great memories that I have climbing up mountains and standing on top of the mountain summits. There are two events in particular that jump out to me that are milestone moments in my life. And the first one is back in 1999. I was climbing a mountain with my then-girlfriend. We'll call her Becky. And... Um, <laughs> We got to, in case you don't know me, that's my wife's name. Uh, we got to the top of the mountain, and uh, I asked her there if she would be my wife. And uh, spoiler alert, in case you were planning on watching the made-for-TV movie about my life called Taco Pastor, uh, yeah, she said yes. So, uh, and the, the second event in my life that stands out as a mountaintop moment is back in, in 1997, I was with a group of friends, and we were climbing a mountain in, in New York, and uh, we got to the top, and we were eating lunch there on the top, and I went off on my own to pray, and it was there that I felt God telling me I should go into the ministry. I don't know why I got super emotional about that. Because <clears throat> I knew what I was going to say next, and you didn't know. Uh, because of that mountaintop experience. Sorry, guys. Hmm. I got to meet you guys. <laughs> uh, I've got to serve alongside you for all these years. In the Bible, there was a man who had many mountaintop experiences in his life as well, life-changing events that happened to him that all seemed to happen right there on the summit of mountains, and his name was Moses. Moses was on a mountain, Mount Horeb, when he met God in a burning bush, and God said to him, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. After coming out of Egypt with the Israelites, Moses once again met with God on a mountain, Mount Sinai, where God met with him face to face. And Moses took that trip up Mount Sinai at least eight times to meet with God. And during those meetings with God, God gave him instructions to tell the people, instructions about where they should go and what they should do, instructions about how they should build the tabernacle. He gave Moses' inspiration for the words of the biblical Torah, which was the law for the people of Israel, and later became known as the Pentateuch, or what we mean in Greek as five books, and they are today still our first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, written by Moses, got on the mountain from God. Moses not only once but twice was given by God on top of that mountain, on top of Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets. It was on top of another mountain that Moses saw the promised land, the land that they'd come out of Egypt and out of slavery and through the desert to reach. And it was there on top of Mount Nebo that Moses would die and would be buried by God himself. So it's no coincidence that not only in the days of Moses, but for thousands of years, even continuing up to today, that the Jewish people would look up to Moses not only as their leader, but as a hero of their faith. After all, he was the man who penned their law, a man who met with God face to face. 
a man who would lead God's people out of slavery, a man who gave them the Ten Commandments from God. As far as the Jewish people were concerned, Moses should be placed up on a mountain, not only physically, but figuratively as well. That's why here in the book of Hebrews, a book that was written to first century Jewish Christians, it was crucial to emphasize, although God, although Jesus backtrack, although Moses was great, Jesus was much, much greater. If we were going to place Moses on a mountaintop in the immortal words of, from the movie Jaws, we're going to need a much bigger mountain when we consider Jesus. Jesus is greater than Moses in every way. Today, we are going to compare and contrast Moses and Jesus, and I want us to consider the great benefit we have today to being followers of Jesus versus being followers of Moses. I want us to consider today the great calling we have in being disciples of Jesus versus being disciples of Moses. And I want us to consider today the hope we have in Jesus versus the hope that we can't ever have in Moses. Excuse me, I'm going to grab a tissue here. Darn coronavirus. I was told, do not set this on the table, but I'm going to anyways. Today, as we, as we go through this message on Jesus being greater than Moses, I'd encourage you to follow along in the sermon outline. So in your bulletin, there's a blue sermon outline. If you don't have that, we always have the, the outline online on our website, hbcmanchester.org. So you can open that up, go to the online bulletin, and find the sermon outline there. Um, and I'd also encourage you, if you could leave your Bibles open to Hebrews 3, as we are going to be looking at that throughout the message this morning. Our, our passage begins in Hebrews 3.1, reminding us of who we are as followers of Jesus. It says there, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So in that short little statement, there are three points made about who we are as followers of Jesus. First, we are holy. The word holy here means we are chosen or we are set apart or we are picked out by God and we're picked out by God for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? We see that in the very next word. He says, therefore, holy brothers. That's the second point that's being made. The word brothers. And lady, we're not, ladies, we're not excluding you this morning when he says the word brothers. We can say brothers and sisters there. Um, but the point that's being made is we are picked out, we are chosen to be a part of God's family. So we, we once weren't God's family, and now we've been chosen to be children of God. We're connected to God, and we're not only connected to God, we're connected to everyone else who is connected to God. And so therefore, we are siblings, holy siblings. How about that? Does that sound good? brothers and sisters in the faith. I think the best word that can be used here is a word that is used throughout Scripture when it talks about us as children of God, and that's the word adoption. Thirteen years ago today, I flew to California to adopt my daughter. So I have some emotion around that, and I think about God choosing me, and I have even more emotion around that. I've been picked out 
chosen by God to be a part of His family. And because we're a part of God's family, we have a heavenly calling. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, because we are holy brothers, we share in that heavenly calling. In other words, the family that we have been adopted into is not a temporary family. It is a family that goes on and on and on forever. It's an eternal family. So look around. People who are in the row with you, the people in front of you, the people behind you, heaven forbid, the people across the aisle, okay? Those are the people if you are a follower of God and they are a follower of God, that you will be with forever and ever and ever. You share in a heavenly calling. Now, if you had a passing thought right then, I'm not sure I want to be with these people forever. I mean, that, that guy next to me is really annoying. Or that lady over there is really sinful. Or the, that group of people over there are really clicky and stuck up and, and snobbish. Okay. I'm not sure I want to spend eternity with a Giants fan. I know. Get it. But if we're thinking those things, if that's a passing thought in our mind, then we've missed the point, haven't we? Because spending eternity with our spiritual family is going to be great. Spending eternity with Jesus is going to be greater. That's why, after reminding the believers of who they are as followers of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says in verse 1, followers of Jesus, consider Jesus. Some versions of the Bible translated as, fix your thoughts on Jesus. I might say it this way, stop what you're doing and focus on Jesus for a second. Think about who Jesus is and tell me that He's not greater than anything or anyone else you could ever think of. That's the goal of this entire series on Hebrews, that we would consider Jesus. He's greater than fill in the blank. Now, the recipients of the letters of Hebrews were Hebrews. They were Jewish Christians. And maybe just for a moment as they unrolled that scroll and they started to read this letter and they saw that, that bold claim that Jesus is greater than anyone or anything, they thought to themselves, maybe they even said it out loud, wait a minute, what about Moses? Yes, Jesus is greater than even Moses. And in today's passage, we'll see four reasons why that is true. So the first reason that Jesus is greater than Moses is He is God's representative. We see that in verse 1. It says, consider Jesus the apostle. The word apostle means representative of God or someone sent with God's authority to God's people to teach them God's truth. The apostles of the New Testament were those who were sent out by Jesus himself with his authority to go and to start the church. The Old Testament equivalent would be the prophets. The Old Testament prophets were sent out by God as God's representatives to God's people to share God's truth. So in the Old Testament, we see that Moses is a prophet. He is God's representative. And here in the New Testament, we see here in Hebrews that Jesus is an apostle. He is God's representative. 
So how can we say that Jesus, as a representative of God, is greater than Moses? After all, right here in, in Hebrews 3.2, it says, Jesus was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Aren't they on equal playing ground because they're, they're both representatives of God? Well, no, because Jesus is a greater representative of God than Moses was. When Moses was, was first called by God to be his representative there at the burning bush, God called to Moses and, and he said, Moses, I want you to go. I want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I want you to bring the Israelites up out of slavery. What was Moses' response? He said, who am I, Lord, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm not worthy of that task. But what did Jesus say in referring to himself? Jesus said, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets must be fulfilled. Jesus' claim was that, that everything in the Old Testament pointed to him, including Moses. When Moses, as God's representative, spoke to God's people, he prophesied of the coming Messiah, Jesus. In Deuteronomy 18.15, which I put on your outline this morning, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Both Peter and Stephen, in the book of Acts, in their sermons, pointed out that this prophet that Moses prophesied about was Jesus. And John the Baptist, when someone said, are you the prophet that is to come? Are you the one fulfilling Moses' prophecy about the prophet? He said, not me. That guy over there, Jesus, is the prophet. We know that Jesus was a greater representative of God than Moses was because what Moses did in representing God was to point to Jesus. And what Jesus did in representing God was to point to himself. Moses understood as God's representative that the, the way of salvation would be through the coming Messiah. And Jesus understood as God's representative that he was the Messiah that was to come. Moses spoke about great things that would happen. Jesus is a fulfillment of of those things. Jesus is greater than Moses. So if we're going to place Moses up on a mountain, when we consider Jesus, we're going to need a much bigger mountain. Now in Scripture and throughout the history of the world, there have been many representatives of God. The angels came representing God. The judges came as God's representative. The apostles and the prophets were representatives of God. The Jewish people were called God's representative. The elders and the leaders of the New Testament church are called representatives of God. Each and every believer is called an ambassador or a representative of God. So many have been called to represent God to the people, but much fewer have been called to represent the people to God. And that's the second reason why Jesus is greater than Moses Jesus is our representative. We see that again in verse 1 of Hebrews 3. It says, There consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So Jesus here is called a high priest. 
Now, Moses, on occasion, served as priest. We see that in Psalm 99. But he never served as high priest. The high priest's job was to be an advocate for the people. The high priest's role was to make sacrifice for the people, for their sins. Day after day, the high priest would offer, would make an offering. According to the law, the, the law, same law that was given to Moses there on Mount Sinai, what came to be known as the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. On top of Mount Sinai, God told Moses, tell the Israelites, and this is from Exodus 19.5, I put that on your outline again this morning, God said, tell the Israelites, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This was a good covenant because it was from God. And the covenant required that the people go to God through the priests who would make a sacrifice for each of their sins. But through Jesus, a new and better covenant was given with a sacrifice not being a day-after-day, sin-after-sin kind of sacrifice, but a once-and-for-all sacrifice. Jesus, as our representative, gave us something that the high priests of the old Mosaic covenant could never give, and that was a perfect once and for all sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice was Jesus himself when he died on the cross. Every time we gather together to celebrate communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice and we remind ourselves of this new covenant. Jesus said as he taught his disciples at the Last Supper, this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. We'll be talking over the next several months as we go through Hebrews about Jesus as the high priest and how significant that is, how it's so significant that He is our representative, how we are lost without Him as our representative of this new covenant. And as a representative of this new covenant, He is so much greater than Moses and the old covenant. The high priest of the old covenant had to enter into the Holy of, Hol Holy of Holies in the inner room of the tent of the tabernacle to make sacrifices for the people. But through Jesus, his sacrifice was once and for all. I'd like you to look at Hebrews 9.11. I put that on your outline this morning. It says there, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus' sacrifice is greater than the sacrifices of the Mosaic Covenant. He's a representative of a much better and a much greater covenant, a covenant that leads to eternal life. That's why in Hebrews 4, Jesus is called the great high priest. No one else is called that. If Moses is placed on a mountaintop, then when we consider Jesus, we're going to need a much, much, much bigger and greater mountain. 
Look back again to Hebrews 3 and verse 2. It says there, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So Jesus is greater than Moses, and this is our third reason, because he is the builder of the church. I said there are many who are God's representative to us, and there are fewer that are our representatives to God. But these last two reasons, describing Jesus' greatness, there's only one that fits the job description, and that's Jesus himself. We see the word house here, which is used seven times in these six verses. We're not referring to a building or a tabernacle or a temple or a palace or a church structure. But rather, we're referring to the people of God. And we see that distinction in verse 6 where it says, we are his house. The difference here, though, between Jesus and Moses is that Moses is a faithful part of the house, whereas Jesus is a builder of the house. To compare Jesus to Moses and, and to say they're on equal ground would be like saying that an architect of the house is of equal importance as the doorknob in the house. Now, the doorknob's important, right? If your doorknob falls off or if it's missing, you go looking for it. You try to put it back on. You need it, okay? But it doesn't compare to the architect. The point here in these verses was not to say that Moses or the Mosaic covenant is not worthy of honor or obedience. No, because Moses was chosen by God. The Mosaic covenant was given by God. Moses has been admired by millions of people, billions of people. But as we look up on the mountain that Moses is on, as we look at the Mosaic covenant that he was given, we're going to need a much bigger mountain to reach the heights of Jesus and the new covenant. The new covenant which came through the perfect sacrifice of the blood of Jesus was the means by which the church was started. It's the foundation on which the church is built. It's the mortar that holds the church together with one common faith and one common hope and one common goal. It's not something that Moses or any common man or woman can do. There's only one builder of the church. Now, God's plan was to use Moses, to call Moses to be a leader to his people, but I strongly believe that God didn't need Moses. Moses was replaceable. In fact, as, as they were about to enter the promised land, Moses was replaced by Joshua. But to say that Jesus is replaceable would be like saying, I don't need a builder for my house. Just watch. It'll build itself. It'll be fine. No, we need that builder. And that builder is Jesus. Jesus reminded us that he is the builder of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, when he was talking to Peter and the other disciples, and he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is the builder of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He's the chief cornerstone, and there's no one stronger or greater or more important than him. And the fact that Jesus is the builder of the church points out the real reason that he is greater than Moses or anyone or anything. And we see that in verse 4. It says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
fact that Jesus is the builder of the church points to his deity. He is God. So our final and most significant, I think, point, most significant reason that Jesus is greater than Moses is he's the Son of God. It is certainly not something Moses could ever claim. Looking back to Hebrews 3, verse 5, it says, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So there's an obvious contrast here between Jesus and Moses. It's striking. Moses is servant. Jesus is son. And this is not a slam to Moses because God loves servants. Listen to how God talks about Moses in Numbers 12. I put part of that verse on your outline this morning. It says, The Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And the Lord said, Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Moses is clearly viewed very highly by God as an obedient servant, as a prophet who God met with personally to be his representative. But contrast that with the words that Jesus the words that God spoke about Jesus at his baptism. God said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he is far greater than Moses or anyone else because no one else can be called God. We can only strive to be called God's servant. Notice a couple of things about verses 5 and 6. First, notice the tense of the words describing Moses' faithfulness and the words describing Jesus' faithfulness. It says Moses was faithful and Jesus is faithful. Moses, past tense, he had his time. He was faithful as a servant. Jesus continues to be the Son of God in the present tense. Notice again where Moses was and where Jesus is in relation to the house. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater because he's a greater representative than Moses is of God. Jesus is greater than Moses because he's a greater representative than Moses is of us. Jesus is greater than Moses because he's the builder of the house and Moses is only part of the house. Jesus is greater than Moses because he's the Son of God, and Moses is only a servant of God. Now, there have been many times that I've been hiking a mountain, and I'm tired, and I look up and I see a ledge up in front of me, and I think, finally, the top of the mountain. And so, you can ask my wife, I really pick up the pace, like the horse running back to the barn. I'm finally almost there, I scramble up to the top so that I can get up there and I can rest. Now, there was one trip in particular that just seemed extraordinarily long. I was extraordinarily tired, and I was walking, and with every bend that I would come around, I would think, it's got to be the top. Every rock that I would step over, every root that I would step over, 
It's got to be almost there. Until finally, I came around to Ben, and I looked up, and I saw that ledge in front of me, and I said, finally, the summit. And so I made my way up to the summit, and I climbed up on top, and I got to the top, and I sat down, exhausted, but excited to be on the summit. That day was super cloudy, and all I could see was white out in front of me in every direction, which was kind of a bummer, but I was glad to be done. As I sat there, I started to pull out my lunch, I started to, to rest, and the wind started to open up the clouds. So they started to open up more and more. I started to get a little bit more and more of a view. And as I sat there, all of a sudden, in front of me was a giant and beautiful mountain. Now you'd think I would have been super happy about this, but I wasn't because the mountain that was in front of me was actually the summit that I was heading to climb. <laughs> And so I packed my lunch back up and headed on up for the rest of the mountain. Now, there's an illustration in there somewhere, okay? And the illustration is this. This smaller peak that, that I strive to get to, which is incomplete, which has no view, is Moses and the Old Covenant. But that beautiful, big, tall mountain where there is rest, where our job is complete, where there is hope, that is Jesus and the new covenant. Once we reach Jesus, there is no more striving, there is no more working, it is only rest and hope. Our passage this morning ends this way, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So where's your confidence today? Where do you place your hope today? For many of the Hebrews in the first century, their confidence was in, in Moses and the Old Covenant. Their hope was still in following the Old Testament law. What about you? Where do you find your confidence? Where do you place your hope? Where do you put your trust? The answer to that for us is it can be seen in, in how we spend our time how we spend our money, how we find, what we find ourselves thinking about or dwelling on or worrying about, where we find our joy, where we find our peace, where we find our rest. And there are a few ways as we close here this morning that I want to encourage you to display your confidence in Jesus as the one who is greater. First, Jesus is greater than your problems and he's greater than your worries and I would encourage you every Sunday to, to gather together with other believers in prayer, to pray for those things in your life that are overwhelming, to pray for those things in your life that are out of your control, whether good or bad, for God to be in them, for God to show his greatness, and to pray for our church that his greatness would be seen through us here as well. On the back wall there in the prayer corner, it asks the question, have you prayed today? If the answer to that question is ever no, then whatever it is that you're doing, it's not even on the same playing field as prayer. Ministry is nothing without prayer because God needs to be in it. So pray to God. And second, Jesus is greater than our finances. Give generously and cheerfully to the work of God. Now, full disclosure, this year at Hope, our giving is actually quite a bit significantly behind our budget for the year. Okay? We don't need to be worried, though, about our finances ever. 
Not if we're doing God's work and not if we remember that God is greater than finances. Just like I said, I don't think God needed Moses. I don't think God needs me and I don't think God needs my money. But my money and how I spend my money and how I use my money is a sign of where my heart is and how much I believe that Jesus is greater than my finances. So give. And thirdly and lastly, Jesus is greater than our time. Serve God in a ministry because we all are a part of the house of God. Even if I'm just a doorknob, I'm important. I'm needed in the house of God. Without me, the house of God is complete, incomplete. But with all of us doing our job, we fulfill the body of Christ. This time I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. As they're coming, I want you to think about whatever it is that you place up on a mountain as your hope and as your faith and as your trust. And I want you to look up a little bit higher. So humor me for a moment and everybody look up. Look up a little higher. Well, actually a lot higher. Going to need a much, much bigger mountain when you consider Jesus. He's greater than anyone or anything that we would seek to place our confidence in. He is our living hope. Let's pray together. God, you are great. You are so much greater than our problems, than our worries, than our decisions, than our time, than our finances, than every struggle and every hard thing in our life. You are so much better than every joy and every good thing in our life. You are so great. So we praise you that in your Son we have a living hope. Our hope has a name, and it's in his name that we pray. Jesus Christ. Amen.